Hello and welcome to a podcast about something. Today we've got Jay from the VCR Kids uh, in to talk about the Sorcerer's Stone or the Philosopher's Stone if you're uh, one of our listeners over in England or really anywhere else in the world other than the U.S. Um, We're talking about the actual stone, not the book, but the stone within the Harry Potter universe. Um, Jay, how you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, why don't you tell us and the listeners a little bit about what the VCR Kids is? Yeah, so uh, we're a podcast that kind of revisits movies that we grew up with. Um, so most of them are kind of from that 80s, 90s era. Um, but I like to think about it as the movies you haven't thought about in 20 years and kind of going back and seeing if they were actually good or if we were just kind of stupid children. I think they're all actually good. I've uh, <laughs> uh, we were talking off air a little bit. I've listened to the Space Jam and the uh, Goofy Movie episodes, and at, on this podcast, it's known what my thoughts on Space Jam are. Um, and you guys do not agree with me over there, and I was I was very saddened by that. I will say I feel uh, I, I feel like our Space Jam. Uh, my take on Space Jam is kind of similar to a lot of the movies we've done, where it's like it. I really liked revisiting it because it was so nostalgic and it was really fun, but like. It really wasn't that good of a movie. <laughs> You're wrong. It's a great movie. You have Bugs Bunny and Michael Jordan teaming up to destroy aliens that are coming to... to I, they're not going to take over our world. They just want Bugs Bunny to go perform on their... All right. Maybe it doesn't hold yeah. up that great, but it's a great movie. I feel like you're proving my point here. <laughs> no, I, I'm proving my point. Um, right. So as of right now, it is September. This will probably actually post in October, but in September of 2018, this is the 20th anniversary of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. So it's only right that we talk about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone this month. Of course. Love it. Um, before we get into actually talking about the Sorcerer's Stone, the most important question that I have is what is your house in Patronus? All right. So uh, I am a Ravenclaw. I, I'm the only like not Hufflepuff in my friend group. Wow. So, yeah. It's pretty crazy. Got a lot of winners <laughs> over there. Yeah. <laughs> I am uh, also a Ravenclaw. So, so we're in good company here. All right. Uh, and my Patronus is an adder. Ooh. Yeah. Sneaky, sneaky snake. Yeah, that's interesting. And you're not in Slytherin and you have a snake. Hmm. I know, right? I got, <laughs> my, uh, my Patronus is a wild boar, and I thought that was interesting because I, I don't really know how that came about. But, you know, <laughs> JK knows her stuff, and if she tells me that I'm a wild boar, then that's what it is. I've been surprised at how strong that quiz is. Like, I've, I've kind of helped a lot of people through it, and uh, I've not met anyone who has a repeat. Yeah. How many times have you done it personally? Um, so the official one I've only done once myself. Okay. Um, but I, I've of course, you know, growing up on the internet, taken, uh, all the other quizzes as they were coming out before the official one came out, um, right. pretty consistently, I would say I was a Ravenclaw most of the time may have gotten a Slytherin here or there, but I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> I've done, I think I've done the Pottermore one three times because like I'll go long gaps without doing it and I'll always forget. And then I'll just be like, oh, I'll use a new email and, and do it again. Yeah. And I think two out of three times I've gotten Ravenclaw and the third time I got Gryffindor. And I, I think honestly, Gryffindor is the, um, the outlier there. <laughs> I, uh, we did, so we've been doing a series, uh, on and off where we get one of our friends who's never seen any Harry Potter movies and we can, we're introducing them to him one movie at a time. And so we've been doing the quizzes with him and it's, it's, 
it's been a while since I've taken it myself. So it's been a lot of fun to kind of revisit that aspect mm-hmm. of it and say like, well, this is my personality type. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's um, I just did a reread a couple months ago and there's a podcast that I listened to um, from the ringer.com called binge mode that is going through basically they're not going chapter by chapter, but they're doing it in like five chapter chunks through each book. And then once they get to the end of the book, they do the movie and they just kind of break it down in these little five chapter chunks chunks and go very deep into it so listening to them has given me a lot of ideas of what i want to talk about on my podcast so that's um it's kind of interesting i've been very engrossed in harry potter for the past six months probably yeah (laughs) i've just been very engrossed in harry potter for like 20 something years it's (laughs) well so i started reading them i was 10 when the first one came out in the u.s um 10 or 11 so i i you know, got on the bandwagon right away because that was the, the target demographic. Um, and then I stopped in high school. Um, I stopped after the fifth book and didn't read them for probably four or five years, but kept up with the movies and everything like that. And then right before the sixth movie came out, I read six and seven and kind of got back into it and got excited for the sixth movie. Yeah. Um, so I and then I took a break for a while and I was like, oh, Harry Potter's not that great. And then I started. <laughs> Went back to reread it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, it is. How could you? It's just blasphemy. <laughs> yeah, it, I I got really into A Song of Ice and Fire for a while, so I was like, well, oh, yeah. you know, this the world building of A Song of Ice and Fire holds up a lot better than the Harry Potter world building. Like she kind of slips in in some aspects there, but but we're not here to nitpick her. Yeah, I never really got into the the books of game. I'm I'm deep into the show, um, but I've tried to reread the book or read the books going back and. It's, I don't know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of world building and, um, it just environment, but like every scene it has to, what food is on the table, what is every person at the table wearing? And it's, yeah. it's really hard. I can imagine. So I do, um, for a song of ice and fire, I did audiobooks, and yeah. that's a little easier cause it'll be on my commute and you can kind of tune in and tune out as he's going through those long explanations and you can speed it up to like one and a half times so it's going a little faster than your normal reading speed but it's it's a great world to live in and if you haven't read the books and you just watch the show you're missing so much yeah it's uh it's interesting i i think my biggest thing was i've i had seen the tv show so many times that reading the first two books they're so close i mean there's so many more details in the books but the things that are in the show are like word for word from the books. Yeah, it, so. it really is. <laughs> I got, so I didn't read it. I, I wasn't a fan of the books like before I watched the show and then it got to season five and I just felt like I was missing a lot of information. Fair enough. Yeah, I can and see that. That's, <laughs> and that's when I started. I was like, all right, I'm going to read it, but I can't start at the end. Like I've got to start at the beginning. So I just started listening to it and, and now I'm hooked way more on the books and I'm kind of like, I'll watch the end of the show, but I'm not happy with it right now. <laughs> But that's that's a story for a different podcast. <laughs> All right. So, fellow Ravenclaw, did you ever do your wand? Do you know what your wand is off the top of your head? I did, yeah. I actually have it pulled up right here oh, in good. case you ask. <laughs> I'm a uh, hazelwood with phoenix feather core, 14 and a half, brittle flexibility. So, I got firwood with phoenix feather, 13 and three quarters and hard flexibility. So, I think we're going to get along here through this, through this conversation. Yeah, this is, I wonder if this is like... People who start podcasts have this tendency. <laughs> it must be either that or we're like long lost brothers or something. And we never yeah, knew something. 
All right, so now we got one more thing to talk about before we get into the actual Sorcerer's Stone. Harry Potter and the world around it is filled with fan theories and just like random theories that people have. And J.K. Rowling, she addresses some of them and others she doesn't. What is your favorite one that you've heard? And it can be just subjectively favorite because it's something you like, or it can be like, this is something I believe now because it's so good. Yeah, I... I don't know if it's it would necessarily be considered like a theory because it's not like it's more of an opinion, right? So I've never been on the Snape train, and I know oh, that like you. she's like turned it around and like made him the great good guy. But he's like, just a stalker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like everything he does is just because he's like so like broken up over this girl and From when he was wishes 15? he could get, like, yeah, come exactly. On. Yeah, I'm hardcore against Snape all the way. Like, you know, he did some great stuff, but he he had some pretty messed up motives. Yeah, like, I'm going to do all of this stuff because I have this unrequited love from when I was, you know, 16 years old that I'm just going to hold on to for the rest of my life. That's, yeah. not, I'm not buying that either. I'm with you there. So there was the, um, I went to a couple of the later book releases as I got older. Um, and there was, I, I want to say it was, was it he killed Dumbledore at the end of uh, sorry for spoilers yeah spoilers off. for all spoilers. of Harry Potter for the rest of this thing <laughs> uh but he he the whole like Dumbledore thing was at was at the end of the fifth book or the sixth six. book I was gonna that was six that. yeah okay cool so when the seventh book was coming out I remember we went to like one of the book uh release parties at like Barnes and Noble or something like that mm-hmm. and uh they had all these buttons and and stickers that everyone had that said like I'm Teen Snape or I'm anti-Snape and all this stuff. And she'd made this huge effort to turn him around into a good guy. And it it's it it irks me. That's the <laughs> it's my yeah, I'll give you I'll give you that. And I'm with you. That us Ravenclaws, we we think this stuff out. We know, you know, Snape's not Snape's not always cracked up to be. Never trust a Slytherin. No. That I mean, when you've got the <laughs> one house that is, hey, this is where the evil people go, and yeah. I can't do it. Um, so I, I had two for this, um, but one is just kind of a silly and has been very, very disproven. And it was, um, after the second book, I think this started making its rounds and I wish I had heard it at the time, but I didn't, I've heard it much after the fact is that Ron is actually a time traveling Dumbledore (laughs) because they both, they're both redheaded. And so like the, the theory was that Dumbledore went back in time, befriended Harry to help him along the way. And then, (laughs) or no. How how does it work? No, don't old Dumbledore. Old Dumbledore, old, like old Dumbledore is Ron. Yeah, so old Dumbledore That's is Ron. Right. Like Ron grows up to be old Dumbledore, basically. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. It, it, look it up. You'll you'll find it. But basically, Ron and Dumbledore are the same person. But then we got more of Dumbledore's backstory, and it's there's no way that Ron is Dumbledore. But I always thought that was like very funny and like this funny way for people to think. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, time travel theories. <laughs> oh. I I am when they're like built into the story and they make sense, but not when you throw them in randomly <laughs> and don't don't think about how it would actually affect time. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, and then the, the the one that I I really like and have made a point to like this is what goes on in my head when I revisit the books or the movie is that Malfoy is uh, turning into he's a werewolf or he's turning into a werewolf basically. Oh, yeah, uh, I have heard that one. As a punishment, don't, uh, Voldemort had Fenrir Greyback bite uh, Draco Malfoy, 
And so that's kind of why he's so ragged in the sixth and seventh books is he's now going through the transformation of becoming a werewolf every month. Um, so that one's, it's still out there and there's a lot of good um, evidence to back it up. And that's just something like that. That's this extra layer that doesn't need to be explicit that I really like. Yeah. Yeah. And, there's a lot of like little kind of little things in there that she hides that are, I mean, even like, like we just rewatched the third movie recently. And mm-hmm. even in that, like just all the little details that she puts in. So interesting to kind of go back and, and see again. Well, there's there's another theory out there that um, early on in the writing process, Snape was actually supposed to be a vampire, and you can kind of get it um, mm-hmm. from the third book because Snape comes in to fill in for Lupin um, when he's turning into a werewolf, actually, or like yeah. he's out in the Shrieking Shack trying not to turn into a werewolf. So he covers for him in Defense Against the Dark Arts, and he assigns them to study werewolves, basically, so they figure it out and Hermione does figure it out. But then when Lupin gets back, he assigns them chapters on vampires. So it was like his way of getting back at Snape and it, it never really fully formed itself, but you can see in like the first three books, how it could go that way. Yeah. And then they cast Robert Pattinson in the fourth movie. So exactly. there's a whole, whole circle. there. <laughs> he, he took the vampire powers from Snape and, and brought them over to uh, Twilight. Yeah. We don't, we don't talk about me. Twilight. Yeah. yeah. We don't talk about <laughs> Twilight here. So let's get into the Sorcerer's Stone or uh, the Philosopher's Stone. I'm going to call it the Philosopher's Stone because um, the Philosopher's Stone is actually a, I won't call it historical, but let's call it legendary item um, that is supposed to have existed at some point. Um, the, the powers of the, the Philosopher's Stone is it can turn base metals into gold or silver. Um, it is provides the elixir of life, uh, can give you rejuvenation and immortality. Those are the same things that happen um, in Harry Potter with it. And then it has some other mentioned properties in the real world, um, such as creation of perpetually burning lamps, um, transmutation of common crystals into precious stones. So basically it just makes everything more valuable. Uh, can revive dead plants, uh, creation of flexible or malleable glass, and uh, the creation of a clone or homunculus. Homunculus. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, that's pretty much a solve-solve. Right yeah, <laughs> you can do anything you want with that. Um, so like I said, it's it's been this central symbol in, um, in, in alchemy and um, has these mystic properties that go back thousands of years. Um, any efforts to discover the Philosopher known, uh, Stone are known as the Magnum Opus which I, I think there have been other movies and uh, literature on that. Uh, I didn't do too much research into that. I, I was just researching the Philosopher's Stone, so this is what I've got. Uh, we can find mentions of the Philosopher's Stone as far back as 300 AD, and some even claim that its history goes back to Adam from Adam and Eve. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I um, I remember kind of before getting into Harry Potter stuff, I was very interested in um, like mythology and stuff like that growing mm-hmm. up and like dark ages stuff. Um, and I, I'd known about the philosopher's stone uh, just from like stories of, but I'd only ever heard about it turning uh, metals into gold. Um, so Harry oh, Potter was kind of my, more. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was kind of my first introduction to like the kind of magnitude of all the potential cool things you could do with it. Um, yeah. It was, it's, it's cool. 
yeah, I, I had no idea. Um, I learned this probably a few months ago that it's based on a, we'll, we'll call it historical, uh, historical item. I thought it was just something that was made up like most of the other stuff in Harry Potter, but, um, that's kind of cool that they brought. And I think, I think I read that she did that on purpose. She wanted to kind of base it on something that was real to kind of grab those people who are, um, fantasy story lovers that would have heard of it before that's a good way to grab them and and get them to read your story yeah for sure have you seen the uh the symbol for it the like the alchemy symbol yes it looks very much like the deathly hallows yeah yeah (laughs) um i think it's got uh i think it's a square and then a triangle and then a circle in the middle right i'm gonna have to look it up okay yeah um so yeah so some history says it goes back to Adam of Adam and Eve, who acquired the knowledge uh, of the stone directly from God, and then it was passed down through religious patriarchs as time went on. Um, in the Middle Ages, it was believed that metals like gold and silver were hidden inside different alloys and, and ores and different metals, and that the, the philosopher's stone or the elixir from it could help basically extract the gold inside other, uh, other metals. Uh, yeah, there's a 13th century science and philosopher named Albert Albertus Magnus, which I'm sure is where the magnum opus comes from, probably. Um, he's said to have discovered the stone, and he passed on the knowledge to his pu- pupil, Thomas Aquinas, um, right before his death. Uh, Magnus does not confirm that he discovered the stone, uh, but he did record he witnessed the creation of gold from transmutation. So there's a, there's a lot, a lot of history out there on the actual stone. And um, there's just so many different things of different instances of people having discovered it or having used it and passed their knowledge along. So, I mean, I'm sure uh, once the, the uh, conspiracy theorists get a hold of this podcast, they'll be telling us <laughs> they knew about it the whole time. Yeah. So, so real talk here. Do you think it's a real thing? Uh, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very hard to convince of like all these conspiracy theories and Illuminati and things like that. I, I just, there's way too much that would have to go into it to pull off anything of this magnitude. Like really there's, there's these people that have been living for hundreds and hundreds of years that, that nobody noticed. Yeah. <laughs> Especially with the internet now, like, come on, they'd be, there would yeah, be they TMZ just stories everywhere. Something out yeah. of curiosity, right? Thank exactly. <laughs> do, do you believe in it? Uh, well, I, I think a lot of times like these historical, uh, items or things that have kind of gone through mythology, like, I don't necessarily think it's a real thing, but I think it, it's interesting to kind of wonder about like where it came from, like how everyone had the same story, mm-hmm. you know, like there must've been something like, obviously not as crazy magical, but something that, um, kind of at least started the rumors, you know what I mean? Right. So so, it's, somebody it's, at some point had to do something similar yeah. <laughs> to this where, where you would you would go, huh, that's weird. And I mean, it could be as, as simple as some, you know, ancient con man trying to trick someone into selling him something. He could turn anything into gold. <laughs> yeah. And I would I would say probably a lot of the, the stories that get passed down and get turned into myths happen like that. Um it's it's just a story told and then the next generation tells the story again but embellishes a little it's just this big long game of telephone basically that you know a con man pretended to turn a a piece of iron into gold and then sold that stone for you know a a massive amount of money and then all of a sudden the next guy and the next guy tell the story and it just grows and grows um but but like you said there's um 
there's a stories of a philosopher's stone like substance that appear in Buddhist and Hindu folklore as well. So it's not just um, like middle age Europe. It it was kind of across the wor- the known world at the time that there's stories of these things popping up. Yeah, that's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird when people make the same story up. Yeah. So in Harry Potter, the we're going to go back to Sorcerer's Stone now because we live in America and yeah. uh that, that's what I'm used to. Uh so it the Sorcerer's Stone was created by Nicholas Flamel, good old Nicky Flames and uh Dumbledore and it its only powers were the elixir of life and to turn metals into gold. Um and then for some reason Dumbledore became the protector of it and uh Nicholas Flamel and his wife lived for like 600 years due to its powers. Yeah, it was uh it's 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 funny that it was not really mentioned a whole lot except for like maybe the first book and the last book for such a big uh item, you know. <laughs> yeah, you would you would think um you'd think like more people in the wizarding world would have heard of it. Like note like Ron's family, Ron's family must just be ignorant to everything that goes on because, like, they never knew anything about what was going on. Um, I mean, they couldn't even figure cars out. So yeah, yeah they're this they're this old <laughs> wizarding family, and they've never heard of like even um, stories of the flo- of the philosophers or sorcerers stone. Like you would think they would hear legends of it, just like you know people today have heard legends of it. Yeah, and you would think, especially if if your school, the head of your school, helped create this thing that it wouldn't be like hidden in the restricted section. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Hermione had to really do some detective work to like, cause it was like on the back of the, the frog card, it was Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel were friends and worked on things together. And then she had to yeah. go look him up in the restricted section. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> so let's talk about hiding it at Hogwarts, because as we all know, there's no safer place in the world than Hogwarts, which is extremely false, right? Yeah, well, <laughs> it draws a lot of bad characters. <laughs> so let's let's start with why hide it in the school to begin with. Why why is that the best place to hide it if you're Dumbledore? Yeah, why? I have the same question, right? Like, oh, why so we're is not there... going to answer this. <laughs> yeah, well, I know that um, I like later on in the books they talk about. Uh, like the Dementors had to get special permission permission to get onto the grounds. Right, you can't and like, apparate really in and out. Yeah. yeah. So like, I guess that makes sense. But also it seems like Gringotts was already pretty safe. <laughs> I well, know they had a break in right after they took it out, but. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about that in the actual planning and, and protecting of the stone section. Um, so yeah, it, it just never made sense of why the school, like I get it. I guess outsiders can't come in, but at the same time, well, they can't apparate or disapparate. Anybody can fly in and out because in their first flying lesson, you know, Neville goes off and Harry and Malfoy go off without really yeah. any restrictions whatsoever. And Neville I mean, almost kills Severus himself. Black is, is in and out of that school the whole time. And there's a manhunt out for him. Yeah, it, exactly. And for some reason, they hire Voldemort as the defense against the dark arts teacher. <laughs> Like I, I can't think. I don't think you can say your school is the safest place if you literally hire he who must not be named. Well, in in fairness, though, wasn't he wasn't uh, Quirrell already a teacher for a few years before Harry and and Voldy came in? I don't know. I don't think so. 
I think that okay. was his because supposedly the position was cursed and nobody ever lasted more than a year. Um, after Voldemort's second visit back, when he didn't get the job. Oh, that's right. Um, I was so, always and, just under the impression that it was something that just happened when Harry and Ron and Hermione came by. No, <laughs> now that you mentioned that, I definitely remember that passage. And I think, and I think in uh, when they first meet him in Diagon Alley. Um, or Diagon Alley. Sorry, I don't want to say it wrong. I'll end up in the wrong place. <laughs> um, when when they first go there, I think Hagrid tells Harry that he's the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Because at that point, Quirrell was not possessed by Voldemort. And it happened in between Harry's first meeting with him and the start of the school year. Gotcha. So, but but still, like Dumbledore, you got to be on top of your shit here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, Voldemort is a an entrepreneurial fella. He saw an opportunity and he went for it, right? Yeah, I mean, he, at, Vol, all all credit to Voldemort here. I mean, he knew yeah. what he was doing. Um, so <laughs> at another point, it seems like Snape knows that Quirrell is working for Voldemort. So why didn't he do more to stop him? Yeah, they mentioned something about um, like how Snape had all his suspicions and mm-hmm. he was following him around and stuff. Like this is a this is a pretty serious thing. This is like the the most dangerous person in the world going after the most dangerous tool in the world, essentially. Yeah. And so yeah, so like you said, Snape follows Quirrell when the troll breaks loose. Um he follows him down to the the third floor corridor or whatever, uh where Fluffy is. And then uh, after one of the Quidditch matches, Harry flies over and sees Snape and Quirrell talking in the, the Forbidden Forest, and Snape like literally asks him he needs to figure out where his allegiances lie. Yeah. And so, like, alright, you know he's working for... You might not know that Voldemort's on the back of his head, but you know he's working for him. So, like, maybe maybe up your game a little bit on the, the protection. Well, and, and I'm I'm loathed to do this based on our previous discussion of Snape, but you know, a little bit of credit to Snape in that he might have, you know, not realized it was a Voldemort connection. He might have just thought he was a new guy who was trying to get the stone and like sell it or something like that. Yeah, and it you know what he might mention that too. He might say like he thought he was trying to get it for himself to to just use it yeah. or sell it or whatever. So all right, all right. I'll give Snape a little little slack it, there but it Dumbledore hurts, it still, hurts to say that but yeah <laughs> Dumbledore still should have been on his game here with uh noticing that the Dark Lord is literally in your school every day yeah I think early Dumbledore was very was not as on the ball in the books as he was later on for sure <laughs> yeah he, he's made some questionable choices uh, so let's talk about those questionable choices in the whole plan behind hiding and protecting the stone so for it's in Gringotts and Dumbledore at one point says he had a feeling that there was going to be a break in. So he gets Hagrid to move it. And um, so he moves the stone, but why not just like warn Gringotts? Hey, somebody's going to break in, be on extra alert. Yeah. Uh, move the stone two cells over and yeah. see what happens. <laughs> cause yeah. Cause Quirrell or whoever broke in went straight to that, uh, Shit, what do they call it? The vault. They went right to that vault. And then they were just like, all right, cool, it's not here, and left. Like, they didn't look around or anything. 
Yeah. So yeah, that that's um that's questionable. Just you know, get a different vault or <laughs> get, put the dragon right in front of that vault. Like do something. You can you can do something to keep it at Green Dots. Yeah. You don't also, need... isn't isn't Dumbledore known like wizarding worldwide as one of the most powerful wizards? Like if he tells you something, you should probably listen to him. Yeah. He says move it to a new yeah. vault. Maybe you should do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Dumbledore knows what he's talking about. I would think, and and you know, other wizards would also think that Dumbledore would know what he's talking about. Um, so then, um, Haggard picks it up and, and let's just say, how about we don't trust Haggard with secrets anymore? <laughs> He's not good with them. Not, not a single secret he knows. <laughs> Do we not also know? <laughs> he, he, um, he tells Harry about the stone. He tells Corey and Harry both about Fluffy and how to defeat him. Like, <laughs> come on, come on, Dumbledore. Like, you can keep Haggard on your side because he's a good dude, but like, let's let's not let's not put all our trust in him. You can yeah, get he's... somebody else to clean out that vault. I think. Yeah. <laughs> McGonagall, send McGonagall in inner cat form. She'll get it. Yeah, send uh, send Snape when. I... <laughs> exactly. Snape's now on the ball. He needed more to do in that first book, other than being uh. Evil yeah, he was clearly bored as a potions teacher, right? <laughs> so. <laughs> so, okay, so then they found out somebody was after it. The troll gets released, um, but it's it's hidden in the mirror, and the mirror is very easily stumbled upon by Harry and Ron several times. So, like, why is the mirror just sitting in this abandoned classroom? Yeah, was it? So here's a question I have, because it's been a little bit since I've revisited the first book. Was the mirror in the? It was later on that it was in the room of requirement, right? It wasn't in yeah. this section. Okay. Yeah, it was. Um, no, it was just in a random like abandoned classroom, and then one of the later, um, one of the later books when Harry tries to hide something, I think he stumbles across it, and he just yeah, like kind of sees it and moves on. Yeah. Um. um yeah. Just come on, guys. It's so it's so lazy. Like everything could have been stopped in this book. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like this plan. This plan is not good. Not good at all. Um, and we're gonna keep. There's more. Like this isn't even the the tip of the iceberg with how bad this plan is. Um, yeah. So I will say that Dumbledore at least did not know that the room of requirement existed at this point because in the fourth book, I believe, he says he was wandering around looking and he had to use the bathroom really bad. And then all of a sudden one appeared in front of him. And that was the first time yeah. he found the room of requirement, which, <laughs> which Dumbledore you've been there for 20 years. Let's, you got to figure some of this stuff out. You don't know where the chamber of secrets is. You don't know where the room of requirement is. Meanwhile, Fred and George have a map to everything. Absolutely. And you, you can't figure this stuff out. Have you seen the, uh, the web comics of, of basically dumb Dumbledore? No. Like we're, oh my gosh. You're going to have to send me a link. link yeah. <laughs> Cause I would love that <laughs> because he is, uh, he's dumb in, in certain yeah. situations. Um, I think it's, it's not so much that he's dumb. It, the character in the web comics is just very like, doesn't like IDGAF. Like, <laughs> yeah, he's very aloof. Yeah. Yeah. Which he, I mean, he gives that off in the actual books a lot too of like, eh, whatever. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah. Oh, Harry, Harry's, Harry's almost <laughs> dead. Let's, let's we'll see how this goes. <laughs> so, and then it's the night, the night of the uh, the the break-in. Let's call it the night of everything goes down. 
Dumbledore gets called away by the Minister of Magic and just leaves, knowing that people are after the the stone, or at least one person is after the stone. He's just like, yeah. all right, I'm out of here. I, yeah. Whatever uh, corny fudge needs, I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> yeah, it's so crazy. <laughs> like, if, if you're tasked with protecting the stone... You got to be there, all, and you're gonna put it in your school because there's no safer place than your school. You got to be there, man. I've I've never. This is this is very eye opening for me. This is a you've a never gone mode. through the the actual plan and broken it down and seen how terrible it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so then, uh, so Harry and Ron and Hermione try to go to Dumbledore. He's gone, obviously, but they're talking to McGonagall and. They they try and tell her someone's off after the stone, and she's just like, ah, nah, it's fine. And I think they yeah. try and tell Flitwick too, and they're both just like, nah, nah, it's cool. We we all protected it. You shouldn't know about it anyway, so we're good. And Hagrid Hagrid tells him too, don't worry about it. It's all protected. Like, yo, go go down there, send send some reinforcements. Yeah. If you and also, I mean, like, if you think about the protections, obviously Fluffy was a was a tough nut to crack, but as you mentioned, Hagrid told everyone about it yeah it's, it's not uh, a tough nut to crack if you get Hagrid drunk though the the whole thing with devil's snare was something that 11 year olds learned in herbology yeah, that was like their first herbology class <laughs> they're like oh just send fire at devil's snare you'll be fine <laughs> uh as long as you're a good chess player and you know how oh, to ride forgot a broom, one we forgot yeah so the keys were first so yeah. I, have a, I have a problem with the keys because this was my next thought was let's go through the traps one by one and you're doing a good job um <laughs> because like like you said fluffy easy to get by devil's snare first lesson so the keys quarrel gets the key gets through the door yeah and he just puts the key back in the room take the key <laughs> with you man you're there <laughs> he was just so excited he forgot about it he said yeah. now is the time <laughs> oh, i don't need this anymore no nobody <laughs> else will come down here after me I can imagine like him just like like absentmindedly leaving the key in the lock and walking through the door, and then oh, the key does the, like the Dark kind of, Lord like, will like, be so happy with me. <laughs> and the key is just trying to like squeeze itself out of the lock and fly away. <laughs> Go fly back, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, all you got to do is be able to ride a broom, which again, first day of school, you learn how to do it. So unless you're Neville getting in there, you're good to go. <laughs> now, now I have. I'm not the greatest chess player. So to me, that would be the most intimidating part. Yeah, but like it's literally the one good thing Ron is good at. Yeah. Like Ron is good at nothing except chess. So if like he can (laughs) figure it out, I'm pretty sure anybody else can figure it out. Uh, Question for you. Did you ever play the Harry Potter computer games? No, I did not. Okay. There was, um, they did in the computer games, the whole, the potion scene okay where you have to like um pick a potion that wasn't in the movie mm-hmm. uh, i always thought that was really interesting the that they kind of like if you can find some some emulators or a really old pc they're definitely worth uh revisiting i think <laughs> i'll try and check it out because yeah, uh, they got peeves in there too it's oh, crazy nice. yeah everybody misses peeves and i like so i've you know peeves is um his legend has grown as the years have gone on and he wasn't in any of the movies. And I was like, I didn't really remember him that much, but I read the, you know, the first few books when I was less than 14 years old. So it was like, all right, yeah. I, my recollection of it is not that great. Um, so then on my second read through, I'm like, 
all right, I kind of get it, but like he's also really not that important. Like any of the stuff he he does, you can have Fred and George do for the most part, and that's what the movies did. So I'm I'm not on the uh, let's make sure Peeves is in the movies bandwagon. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So yeah, then we get the potions, which, um, like you said, that part wasn't in the movie, which really sucks because that was Hermione's time to shine. And I've I've got a few nits to pick here too, because. Coral, why don't you just drink the whole potion? Yeah, like, exactly. Like, you took a sip and then just left it? Like, <laughs> if you drink the whole thing, no, or take it with you, or break it on the ground, nobody else is getting through, and then you can stare at the mirror all day long. Yeah, or at least, like, add something in that says, like, like similar to the, the liquid they drank when they were gone for the Horcruxes, where, like, you got weaker the more you drank right. or something like that. Yeah. And, and then... um as far as the people protecting the stone, why, why do any of the potions take you through? <laughs> well, you know, in case, in case they just, the Hogwarts ran out of money and they needed to mint some more gold. I guess. And yeah, so if you need to retrieve the stone, I guess is the, the reason behind it. But like, again, Dumbledore's the most powerful wizard ever. I think he can, he can like get a back door in there. Like you, you set up all these, these little challenges when just like, don't make the challenges winnable. McGonagall's not going to go down there and get the stone, so she doesn't need to be able to get through. The only person who needs to be able to get through is Dumbledore. Yeah. So. Well, you know, I mean, if you really think about it, at the end, he says they decide to destroy the stone, and that's something that they could have done before the book even started. So. Yeah, yeah, I've got that in my notes from in the uh, fallout from the stone section. So we'll yeah. get there. We'll get there. Don't get ahead of All us. Right. We got we got uh, one more challenge. And then so the last thing where the stone is actually hidden is the mirror. So how long do you think it would have taken for Voldemort to actually get the stone if no one ever came across him? Because Dumbledore's gone off at the Ministry of Magic. Uh, let's say the kids listen to McGonagall and just are like, ah, yeah, they got it under control. How long do you think he would have stood there before he's just like, oh, you know what? I don't want to use the stone anymore, but I really like it just yeah. to beat this puzzle. He would have just he would have just stayed there until Quirrell's body withered. <laughs> exactly. And and eventually he would have just gone, Oh, I don't even want to use it anymore. I just want to know how it works. And yeah. boom, he's got it. Like Like when they it when they come in, in the movie, he's just he's just staring at it. He's just standing there. <laughs> how long has he been standing there? Exactly. And how long would he continue to stand there? He could have yeah. been there hours. I mean, Voldemort doesn't need to eat in this form, right? Like He needs the unicorn blood. So eventually they would have had to go back through all the challenges, go get some unicorn blood, <laughs> go back again. But now they know how to beat all the challenges. Like, they don't even have to try very hard. They know which potion it is. They know, you know, just fire away at the devil's snare. Um, maybe Quirrell actually keeps the key on him as he's going back through. He's like, oh, shit, I'm going to need that later and takes it with him. Yeah. Yeah, if it weren't for these meddling kids. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's really, and I get it. It's a book for eleven to fifteen year olds, so like you got to kind of make it them the heroes. But yeah. like this this is a rough plan to protect the stone. You're not doing a good job. I think I think our um our wands and our our houses are. You were right. We're we're very eye to eye on a lot of stuff here. <laughs> these this is our Ravenclaw brains just ticking away at like yeah, this this isn't hard. <laughs> Like, go yeah. get Luna Lovegood. She would get you right through. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so let's talk about what... All right, they get the stone, and then, boom, right away. Let's destroy it. Yeah. What? Okay. Why didn't we do this first? You, you <laughs> waited six months or whatever it was to do that? Like, 
they, they said, uh, there's a quote from Dumbledore. He's like, uh, well, you know, Nikki Flames and I, we talked about it and we realized the dangers uh, after Voldemort tried to steal it. Like, just now you realize that? Yeah. You should have realized that like 500 years ago of what the dangers are. You didn't realize it when you had it locked in the safest vault in the Wizarding World? <laughs> right. Like, hey, Hagrid, pick this up and just do whatever you can. Just smash it. You're half giant. Just smash it, smash it. You'll be good. Yeah. Take a little piece home for yourself and d- don't get drunk and tell anybody what it is. So there's a kind of this is going to kind of jump back a little bit, but he had Hagrid transport it and he just put it in his pocket. Like Hagrid can't do magic. Yeah. Why, and he's in this wizarding world. <laughs> why isn't Quirrell learning to be a pickpocket and just like, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah, Hagrid might give you a, a rough punch to the face, but like you can stupefy him and be good to go. And that, Hagrid can do magic, just not well, because he does have his umbrella. Because yeah. Dumbledore got his wand back for him. He's, he's not, not supposed allowed, right? to do magic. <laughs> I feel like the rules in the wizarding world are very fast and loose. Um, because there's there's not a good... It's it's kind of like the way the NFL runs their discipline. It's like, ah, eh, <laughs> today we like you, so we're not going to give you that hard of a punishment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's just Cornelius Fudge or if that's the ministry overall, but it, it doesn't seem like it's, you know, a well-oiled machine over there. It's a mess. Yeah, we could probably do a whole podcast on the Ministry of Magic's uh, incompetence as well. Yeah, I think if if you ever ask us back to do more Harry Potter stuff, I'm definitely gonna have to bring Aaron in. She's uh, she'd she'd have a lot of fun in these discussions. Oh yeah, I've got <laughs> I've got more topics, and right now you're gonna be my go-to Harry Potter because I haven't I've talked about like briefly on Harry Potter with a few other guests, um, but we never mm-hmm. got like deep into it. And this this has been, and we got a little bit more that that I assume is probably gonna continue to be good. So we'll. We'll definitely keep the uh, the Harry Potter wheel turning here because I've got several topics that I need to discuss on it. Yeah, rock and roll. My friends don't want to listen to me just talk for hours upon hours of, you know, why the plan to hide the Sorcerer's Stone is stupid. <laughs> That's why you have a podcast, so exactly. you don't need friends, right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I can find new friends. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we talked why not just destroy it right away. Um, so what happens to Nicholas Flamel, or as I like to call him, Nicky Flames, after the stone is destroyed? I mean, he's he's just going to wither away. Yeah. Uh, they say him and his wife, they, they had enough elixir to get their affairs in order. So, yeah. like, you're 690 years old or something like that. How at that point, like, how often are you drinking this elixir? Well, and what are your affairs that you need to get over? How many like <laughs> gra- levels of grandchildren do you have, and have you been giving them all elixir? Like, is your is your child, you know, six hundred and fifty? Like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe they didn't have any children. <laughs> but then, what affair? I, like, that's I need to find out it, what Nicholas it takes a really long time to write a will for all the metal you've turned into gold. <laughs> right. Because, <laughs> because he's just basically going to bankrupt England at this point because all of this gold <laughs> is going to go into circulation because he's just been racking it up and he doesn't have anything to spend. And he's 690. What's he doing for fun? Yeah. <laughs> he's just hanging out with his wife, uh, reading, moving newspapers. Yeah. That, that would be some life being 690 in the wizarding world and having all of the money in the world. Yeah. I, I don't know what I would do. I'd open a joke shop with the Weasley twins, I think. You, you start paying your house elves? Yeah, or all of the house, house elves. Like, yeah, there's... All right, Dumbledore. 
you got this thing that can turn any metal into gold. Let's pay these house elves that are working at Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> Hermione, let's get Spew back up and running. Come on. <laughs> so the, the last point I had here on what happened from the stone. So basically destroying the stone set off the events that take place in the next six books. Because if Voldemort would have found, would have gotten the stone, he wouldn't have needed to go after Horcruxes. But now that there's no stone, he's, you know, Horcruxes are his A1 go-to. I need to get back to life here. Yeah. Well, um, so, yeah. I've always been a little bit confused about that because um, the Horcruxes are, are essentially like his soul, right? But he's found some way to manifest himself physically in Quirrell. So um, the way I think it works, and this is just me talking out of my ass mostly, is because he had the fragments of his soul left behind, he couldn't actually physically die. So when his killing right. curse rebounded, he just turned into this like spirit thing that then later, and he just floated around like that for 10 years until he found Quirrell to share his body. Yeah. Um, but then he, he was able to, so again, this is kind of jumping ahead in the, in the book yeah, series, but he's, uh, in the fourth one, when he gets his body back, he does it by like this whole ritual with Harry's blood and all this stuff. And I just always assumed kind of looking back that, I mean, it worked because he had, Harry had killed Voldemort and all this stuff, but also Harry was a Horcrux, right? So, mm-hmm. and spoilers, but, <laughs> but, uh, so he, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think, wouldn't he still have needed something with the Sorcerer's Stone to, because other, wouldn't he have just been stuck on the back of Coral's head the whole time forever? Um, I, his plan was probably to take over Coral's body, would be my assumption. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and that weak, weak little boy. Well, yeah, but he's magic. He can he can figure out how to make himself uh, stronger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, so I think with with what happened in in Goblet of Fire is he said he stumbled upon that old magic with the help of Wormtail at some point. Uh, like he he had forgotten about it. He didn't know it existed, and he stumbled upon it as a way to resurrect himself basically, but he needed, he needed the bone from his father and the blood from Harry and, uh, uh, Wormtail's hand. Um, so that, that gave him a body, but he didn't, in the first book, he didn't know that magic existed basically. Yeah. Uh, so wouldn't it have been smarter if you're Dumbledore and let, we've already established he's not always, you know, not always thinking completely ahead. Wouldn't it have been smarter to not destroy the Sorcerer's Stone? Keep it as a bait, basically. You keep moving it around, hiding it in different ways, protecting it in these great, great ways that you come up with. Um, and then go on your hunt for the Horcruxes. Because as long as the Sorcerer's Stone exists, Voldemort's going after that first because that's the easy way. And that because then he still can fall back on his Horcruxes. But Dumbledore knows the Horcruxes exist. I guess he didn't until the diary. Yeah. yeah, I think the I think they said that the diary was the first one. It was he, the first one, and he didn't know it existed. He didn't know that they existed until he found. All right, all right, never mind. Sorry, Dumbledore, you're smart again. 
Um, I take back everything. <laughs> not everything, but I take back that point. <laughs> but yeah, I just figured that that would give them a little more time. If if they just keep kind of moving the, the stone around, that would give them more time to hunt the Horcruxes down. But I guess not. So I've always had this question, and this is um, jumping ahead, and, and it's kind of getting off the Sorcerer's Stone topic, but I need to bounce it off somebody, and it's not a full podcast. It's like a four-minute conversation, maybe, hopefully. Um, maybe it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's an hour. I don't know. Uh, so when – and I asked this on Harry Potter Reddit, and I didn't like the answers I got. If in book two, Voldemort comes back as 16-year-old Tom Riddle. Yes. What happens to the spirit of Voldemort that is out there floating around? Do they are is it like a magnet where they're drawn together now and they can combine? Does 16-year-old Tom Riddle need to relearn everything that he learned to become the Dark Lord? Like what what do you think happens in that kid? Like so, like say Harry doesn't stop him and he comes back and he's Tom Riddle 16 years old. What happens next? Yeah. I had a very very similar question um, that I, I threw at my Ravenclaw wife. Ravenclaw connection. Yeah. She just shot me down, but, uh, that's, that's the typical Hufflepuff. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so I, I was really curious as to, um, how 16 year old Voldemort like knows all the stuff about like who Harry Potter is. Jenny told him. Right, right. Okay. Jenny to a wrote certain it, degree. No, Jenny wrote it because she was in love with Harry. She wrote like everything about Harry's path. Like she wrote that he defeated Voldemort, and like so she wrote all that in the diary. So he learned that as she was writing. Right. There was something. Um, what was it? There was. It was something when they go back in time in the later book. I can't remember what the connection was because it's. it's I promised myself I wouldn't rewatch the movies until we watched them with Andrew. <laughs> but there was something that was, uh, it was like he did something when he was a lot younger that like didn't apply. Like it was some weird time connection between um, like the later flashback of Tom Riddle and like the flashback in the Horcrux and like the whole time thing there really kind of like threw me off a lot. But, and yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've, I've uh, rambled incoherently trying to find my thoughts enough on this. So You're, you get one. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think there were some, some weird, cause it would have been in book six when they're trying to find the memory from Slughorn and there were some weird, like, okay, you learned yeah, about it the... then and then he created it or yeah, there was, there was a, I think it was like a really close time there. Yeah, but yeah, that that's just something I've always wondered of what's what's Tom Riddle's next step if he succeeds in coming back as a sixteen year old because like yeah, the he's got to like relearn everything. Yeah, the later Horcruxes that's fine because he made those later in life. I guess the ring he made when he was eighteen or so, but all the other ones they were after he learned a bunch. And yeah, so one. he's got like uh he knows his mission in that he doesn't like muggles. But he also doesn't know anything about Death Eaters or like who his allies are. <laughs> yeah, he would have no idea he needs to go find Lucius Malfoy, who set up the whole you know plan in motion to get him to come back. Which that's a great plan by Lucius Malfoy. We talk about bad plans in the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, given a eleven-year-old uh, girl a free diary that talks to her. It, yeah, that's yeah, a plus there, Malfoy. You know, of a of a 
very dreamy 16-year-old boy. Exactly. Yeah, so when she finally <laughs> meets him, she's like, wow, okay, yeah, I'm down for this. He's better than Harry anyways. <laughs> um, so if you have an idea of, as a listener, of what, what Tom Riddle would have done when he came back, uh, please let us know on Twitter at APA something, or you can email me a podcast about something at gmail.com, or uh, let the VCR kids know. Yeah. This is this is all great discussion points that I can't wait to raise with Andrew when we see him next. <laughs> and and if you think the plan to hide the Sorcerer's Stone was good, please let us know why, because you're wrong. Um, but I'd like to hear your yeah. opinion. I I'm I'm looking at some of these web comics. I'm definitely gonna tweet these at you. Yes, these please are do. <laughs> these are ridiculous. <laughs> all right, that's that's pretty much all I've got for the Sorcerer's Stone. You got any other points you want to hit about the uh, the stone or the the books in general? I just I I find it very like the the magic the the wizarding world has become such a thing with so many hard set rules mm-hmm. that I feel like the the book and the first movie just are really finding themselves right <laughs> like yeah um, you really going back on a reread or even a rewatch of the first movie because the first movie was pretty uh well told and it stuck to the story pretty well. Yeah. Um, so going back to those, you're like, why is it like, that's not how this magic works. That's how this magic works. Cause she builds yeah. it out so much better later. And you're like, eh, okay, you, you made a mistake. And now you're kind of trying to cover your track, but she, to, to her credit, she does a really good job of covering her tracks on a lot of this stuff. Yes. Um, the, there's just like little thing, like, um, when they're in the train and he's trying to turn his rat yellow and he's like, like all the curses, all the spells that they're doing are like rhymes mm-hmm. in the beginning. Like, well, <laughs> and then that just goes out the window after the first book. There's, there's a theory on that too, of like, he couldn't turn the rat yellow because he's not really a rat because he's Wormtail. So that it was actually a real spell, but it didn't work. Yeah. Well, there's also the one um, that Seamus is doing. He's doing another rhyme spell. At some point when he loses his eyebrows, right? So yeah, yeah. There's a lot of little rhyme spells. (laughs) Yeah, and that was like really playing to the the younger audience. I think of like let's make this easy for them, and you know the 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 magic words for each of the different spells are always kind of more simplified earlier than they are later in the books, and then you get to like Sectum Sempra where it just rips people in half pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) we'll have to do another episode on Half Blood Prince because that's. Let's do this before we go. Favorite books, least favorite to to favorite. Um. Okay. Books. Gosh. Movies don't. Count. Um. Yeah. I was never. I never was a big fan of the fourth one. Um. The fourth one, I think, is probably my least favorite. When was uh, the last just, time you read it? It's been a while. Well, maybe like a couple years okay. ago. Um, there's just like too much teenage angst in it, too much like Cho Chang should it, will he, won't he kind yeah. of thing. I got that. Um, the, I, I loved the fifth one when it came out because that was the first one where I was like, who boy, this is dark. Like this yeah. is getting intense. Um, and I, I think probably, I, I would say probably the sixth one was probably my favorite. Um, so I guess in order it would be like four, uh, mm, maybe like two, one, three, five, seven, six. 
That's a good order. So I was with you on Goblet of Fire until I listened to um, the other podcast I talked about earlier, Binge Mode. When they um, when they broke it down chapter by chapter, it made a lot more like there's so much foreshadowing and world building set within the beginning of that book. And then the end of that oh, book, yeah. when he gets to the graveyard, it, that's probably one of the best like four chapter stretches of the whole series. But there, there is a lot of like in the middle, it's, it's really weighed down with like the Yule ball and yeah. Like I don't care about fig- Crumb and yeah. Fleur and him <laughs> figuring out the clues and all that stuff. So I was, I was always with you on, on four, but I'm a little higher on it now having listened to them. So my order is probably like two, one, four, five, seven, three, six. Prisoner of Azkaban was always my favorite until I read Half-Blood Prince and Half-Blood Prince is by far the best book. Um, and then, but then Prisoner of Azkaban always holds like that special place of this was my favorite. And like, I, I didn't ever read, reread books when I was a kid, but that was one that I would have if I didn't have to read yeah. the first two before it. I think when I was a kid, when I got to the third one, I wasn't, it, it's, it's so different than like all the rest of them. Yeah. It, it took a really um, good turn. Yeah. It's also the one where you don't like see Voldemort at all. Um, like all the, the Voldemort stuff is like adjacent mm-hmm. to the story that's happening. Um, so I think like when I was younger, I was like kind of like, oh man, we've been building up to all this Voldemort stuff and then we got to hear about his godfather. I don't care about that. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I could get that. But like it, it was really well done and, and the relationship with Lupin was really well built and like Lupin's yeah. my favorite defense against the dark arts teacher, which I mean, that's not much of a stretch because he was the only competent one <laughs> or at least not the dark Lord. Yeah. Lupin Lupin was one of my favorite characters in the book in general. Mm-hmm. I think books plural. Yeah. yeah. Snape, Snape is not. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had one more thing because we started talking about Prisoner of Azkaban. I had one more thing I wanted to mention while we were talking about the traps. If Professor Chalani existed in book one, what would her trap have been? <laughs> um, I mean, it would have had to be something about like a crystal ball, right? Like, like you can only go through if you see your horrible death in it or something. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I think I read that on Reddit a couple days ago and I, I really wanted to make sure I mentioned it because I thought it was really funny. And all the answers on Reddit were, were really funny as well. Cause it was all like, you have to predict three people's deaths before you can move on or yeah. just something like that. Because <laughs> It couldn't just be like gaze at the stars and figure out what they're saying. It would be like, you have to make sure three people die in your prediction at least. It'd be like, it'd just be her down there and she'd be like, okay, now tell me how I die. <laughs> here's some leaves, here's a crystal ball, and there are the stars. Figure out which one gives me the most horrific death and tell me what it is. Yeah, it'd just be totally subjective. <laughs> yeah, that's good enough. Okay, burning in a, pot, a vial of acid, that's good. Yeah, you can go. <laughs> oh no, just flames? Nah, that's not good enough. You you can't get through. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'm never gonna drown. I swim amazing. <laughs> I was a triathlete back in my day. Not gonna happen. 
All right, so that's all we've got for the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, we'll definitely have the guys from the VCR Kids back for more Harry Potter topics in the future. Uh, you guys want to you want to give some plugs um, for your podcast, Twitter, anything like that before we go? Yeah, sure. Um, so we just released. Uh, well, I'm not sure when this episode is going to be coming out. It's not but... going to be coming out for a month. So okay, I don't know what movie we just did, but. Uh... <laughs> uh... We are doing, like we mentioned, a special series on Harry Potter where we watch them with our friend Andrew, who's never seen them. So you can find those in our feed. Um, we did recently just upgrade our microphones a lot. So the first two sound really bad and the third one sounds great. Awesome. <laughs> That's always good when you get to upgrade the microphone. Yeah. I, it Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we have uh, our Twitter is, and our Facebook and all that stuff is just at the VCR Kids. Or you can check out the VCRKids.com and uh, yeah, come hang out. Yeah, it's it's a really great show if you want your childhood ruined because um, <laughs> they don't think the 90s were as cool as I do, then definitely listen to them. And it's it's really fun to listen to um, the all, all of the hosts that get involved have a really great rapport. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to the episodes that I have in my queue. I just have a lot of other podcasts that I listen to too, so... You're in there. Uh, you got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one that I'm going to listen to. I'll probably go back and listen to the Harry Potter ones now that we've done this. And I know how you feel about Harry Potter. I know you that you're a Harry Potter <laughs> lover, so you can't kill that for me. I'll, yeah, I'll be I, I got the vibe that you were kind of staying away from it because you were afraid we were going to bash it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you killed a goofy movie. You killed Space Jam for me. I, I couldn't have you do that to <laughs> Harry Potter. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you again. Um, Check out the VCR kids and um, thanks. That's all we got. Thanks. It's been fun. Hey, this is an ad about something. Audible to be exact. Audible is a great way to catch up on all your favorite stories while on the go. Audible includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers. I've been using Audible for years on my daily commute to catch up on some of my favorite fantasy stories including Harry Potter, The Once and Future King, and A Song of Ice and Fire narrated by the Guinness World Record holder Roy Dotrice. Uh, I also love getting Audible's recommendations. Just recently, Audible recommended that I read Armada and Ready Player One by Ernest Cline and spectacularly narrated by Will Wheaton. I listened to both of these stories and loved them both because the narration by Will Wheaton just made the stories even more enjoyable and immersive than if I would have read them on my own. So if you love books, I've got some great news for you. Right now, for my listeners, you can get any audiobook you want from Audible for free when you sign up for your free trial of Audible using audibletrial.com slash a podcast about something. Again, to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash a podcast about something. Thanks for listening. And now it's time for the two-minute two minute episode. episode. But first, listen to this promo from one of my fellow podcasters. What podcast brings you true stories of exceptionally smart and insanely dumb crimes every week? Dumb and busted, obviously. But Hannah, where is your one-stop shop if you want to hear about a killer nurse, a pervy arsonist, or a group of hella old dudes breaking into a vault? Dumb and busted. Allison, come on, seriously? We host the show together. Okay, last question. Where can I go if I need to hear the number one song of 1999, I Want It That Way? What? The Backstreet Boys album Millennium? 
How did we even get on this tangent? Oh, okay. Sorry for being the only one who's ever fallen victim to their tight harmonies and timeless songs. Anyway, please listen and subscribe to Dumb and Busted on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Crime you later! What's the deal with voice control these days? Seriously, for a minute, though. I know I started that off kind of goofily, but I I don't get what's going on with voice control smart hubs in your home. Like, I, I've never seen the appeal. I've tried to use voice control, and I've tried to use, like, the, the Google Assistant on my phone. Um, I've never had an actual smart hub, but I, I can imagine it's the same thing. The voice control remotes, all that stuff. Everything is getting the voice control treatment, and I just... I really think it's a hassle. It's super annoying. Um, most of the time, it can't hear you or it doesn't hear you correctly, so you have to say it four or five times to get it just right. You gotta say it, then it repeats it to you if to make sure you said it right. If you didn't say it right, you have to say it again. Or like if it's on your phone, you have to say it and then you have to read it to make sure it picked it up right and say it again. It it just seems like an extra hassle. Like with the the TV remotes that are all adding voice control, like. It's super easy to pick up the remote, push three buttons, and I'm on the channel I want. I don't want to have to pick it up and say, Xfinity, go to ESPN, and then it take me to some other channel because it didn't actually hear me correctly. No, I hit 403, boom, it's on ESPN. I'm good to go. And it, it, it's the same thing on your phone. Siri, look up this. Google Assistant, look up this. And it, it gets half the words wrong. So what's the point? How are you actually helping me? I, I it's I, I don't get it. Um, you know, the other thing about it, especially with the smart hubs, is now you've got something in your house that's always listening to you, collecting data. It's a huge privacy issue. Um, I, I don't know, like, I know Google has all my information anyways, but I, I don't really like giving them more that I can control. Um, you know, I've got mics on all my phone, so it's picking up that anyways, but, like, it, on with the smart hub... It's just literally sitting there. You got an Amazon Echo or Google Assistant, uh, Google Home, whatever the Apple one is. They're sitting there. They're listening, waiting for their prompt. And that's the other problem. Sometimes, like in my car, I'll be listening to podcasts or whatever, and uh, uh, the it somehow prompts my phone to pick up the assistant, and then I stop listening to whatever I was listening to, and now it's trying to search for whatever the dude on the podcast said. This happened to me not even two weeks ago. I was listening to a podcast, Mixed Media Force, by the way. Check them out. They're really great. He's really great over there, Jason Lampro. Um, but check him out. I was listening to him, though, and somehow he triggered my Google Assistant while I was talking, so then it cuts him off in the middle of whatever he's saying, and it tries to search for whatever he just said. I don't want to search for whatever he said. I just want to listen to what he has to say about it. I I don't get it. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen one in somebody's home where it's working properly. I've seen them, and I've seen the people yelling across the room, uh, trying to get a hold of it, trying to get what they're trying to do, and then eventually they just walk over their phone and push the buttons anyways because every one of them you have to have an app to back it up anyways. So if it's not working or if it needs an update, you run the app and it connects via Bluetooth or Wi-Fi and you do all that. So usually it consists of the person yelling across the room three times, the thing not picking it up, and then them going, grabbing their phone, and punching in whatever they wanted anyways. Listen to Eminem. It doesn't work. It tries to research M&Ms instead. No, I want to listen to Eminem. Still doesn't work. So then they just go over, they push play on their phone. Way easier that way, I would think, just to start off grabbing your phone and doing that. Uh, I will give 
them credit, the one redeeming feature that I found, uh, at least on Google Assistant, and I think Siri has this feature as well. I don't know. I'm not an Apple user. Um, but like when I'm listening to a song and I have no idea what it is, I can turn on Google Assistant and it will listen to the song and tell me what it is. It'll take me to the Wikipedia page or it'll take me to um, the Google Play Store to try and buy the song usually. But it gets me where I need to go. It tells me what the song is and who sings it. And that's really all I'm looking for in that case. Um, that's my whole spiel on Smart Hub's voice control. If you have them and you've had success with them, please let me know. Give me feedback. And, you know, if you got any other feedback, hit me on Twitter at APA something, or you can send an email to a podcast about something at gmail.com. And um, if you like the show and want to support us, visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash a podcast about something, and feel free to donate whatever you feel is necessary to keep this show going. I really enjoy doing the show every week. Um, I like getting to talk to the different guests and, you know, meeting new people this way and just learning new things a lot through the show. So it would be great if you guys would support me by visiting the Patreon so I can keep it going. Um, that's all I've got for today. Uh, be sure to catch podcasts about football on Thursday and stay classy.